Welcome to the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast. I'm your host, Tim Vale, and joining me today is Ken Pickering, the Senior Vice President of Engineering at Starburst Data. Thanks for joining us today, Ken. Ken, I thought I would just kind of read a little bit about what I understand your background to be, and then you know, certainly fill in the gaps or add to it if, if, if you like to, but it, you got your bachelor's degree from University of Virginia in computer science ultimately got a master's degree uh, in computer science from UMass Lowell, uh, and then kind of went on to, to do all sorts of really exciting roles. One of the reasons I was kind of so interested and excited to talk to you today is, is, is your background kind of in, in software engineering and architecture is really, really impressive. You've had a lot of kind of unique and different experiences. You know, most recently at Rue La La and then at Hopper, where you were um, head of engineering and, of course, now uh, we have the pleasure of talking to you as SVP of engineering at Starburst Data. Did I, did I, I mean, I know I didn't go into all the details, but is that is that a, a fair summary of kind of of your journey to date? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I uh, I've got the the uh, privilege of working in both, yeah, B two B and and B two C systems, which has been kind of interesting uh, from a architecture and and uh, you know capacity planning and and uh, engineering perspective so yeah now one thing I'm always curious about it and maybe it's because I I, I was just uh, at Disney World with the family and and kind of thinking back about childhood and aspirations and growing up you know I, I found myself in an engineering uh, capacity not long after graduating but I don't know that that's ever what I thought I was going to do you know you you not only got a bachelor's degree in computer science but a master's degree I mean, is that is that kind of what you'd always wanted to do is is get into technology? be a, a you know an engineering leader or did you have aspirations to to do other things kind of as you were growing up I'm I'm always just curious about kind of how people wind up kind of where they are today like like you and I are here in this kind of technical field so I took apart my record player when I was 6 to sort of like see how it worked right, right. and then, so I think like I've always had this intrinsic curiosity as to how things are built and how things operate uh, but actually, uh, engineering was a side hustle uh, for at my time my music career. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, well, I grew up. I, I really love music. I uh, played the violin and then the trumpet, and then uh, later in life picked up like bass and, and drums and stuff like that. Uh, and my parents were like, you can't be a music major. You're like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, you know, like that's not that's not a career. Like, and I was like, all right, all right, all right. Like, I'll do this. I started out in electrical engineering. Um, and then pivoted to computer engineering, which was sort of new at the time, um, but it was like a hybrid of double E and CS work. Uh, I'd say it's like, um, you know, like like doing FPGA type stuff before the days of Raspberry Pis. Uh, and so, yeah, like, so I, I I was happy I did it, right? Because I, the music thing just sort of fell apart. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so I mean, like, uh, so it, I, I didn't get into this 100% thinking I'd be an engineer someday. Um, but but that's just sort of fell into the profession, and you know I've, I've always liked math and, and science and and technology. Yeah, it's great. I do very similar background. I don't know that I ever um, that took apart a record player, but pretty close. I did a lot of uh, deconstructing and reconstructing of things. So it's it's no surprise. I think we find ourselves in the kind of profession that we're in. So let's talk a little bit about about Starburst City. You've been there. Uh, I guess at this point it'd be a little over two years, or maybe right at the two year mark. Um, Starburst is a is a really fascinating company. It's it, it itself has had kind of an interesting journey. But tell me a little bit about you know kind of what Starburst is, a little bit more about kind of the the role that you're playing there. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear um, what you, what your what the day in the life of uh, it, it Starburst is, and, and really what Starburst is about. 
Absolutely. You know, uh, so Starburst uh, is based on the open source project uh, Trino, uh, formerly known as Presto. Um, and I'd say Starburst, the company, has a couple different origin stories uh, in regards to that. I mean, the the, the, Pre- the Presto project was worked by uh, uh, three of our CTOs, Dane, David, and Martine, uh, at Facebook uh, for, for quite some time. And it was really uh, designed to solve the problem of like, how do you query internet scale data, right? Like the, the best common practices at the time were like data warehousing. But if your data is so physically large that you can't warehouse it, like what do you do, right? And so it's a very interesting and cool and uh, occasionally somewhat complicated piece of technology. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, and so the other side of the company is, is more of the business side, which comes out of uh, the days of Adapt. So Justin Borgman, our CEO, was the co-founder of Adapt, and he's always had this vision of like SQL on top of like unstructured storage or, or alternative storage types, right? And so um, when the company was acquired by Teradata, Justin and the team started working uh, with at the time Presto and saw the potential of it. And so Starburst was founded after that to work directly with Presto and the Presto community. And then, um, you know, after after Dane, David and Martin left Facebook and, and, and forked the project, uh, everybody came together at Starburst uh, and sought to, I'd say, bring bring Presto, uh, now Trino, to the masses, right? And and actually leverage this technology in a way that can lift all sorts of businesses, not just internet scale companies. So uh, so that's what we've been working on. It's a, it's a very kind of open, uh, stereotypical open core journey, right? We have the open source technology widely utilized by some of the, the biggest companies in the world. We built we build the enterprise platform and we have a ton of customers on the enterprise platform. And now we're in the like the cloud platform part of the journey, right? Like how do we, as a business, like make it like simple, easy to use, any company can do it, right? And, and leverage, leverage Trino in that capacity. You know, it's, I spent some time at, at Hortonworks and so was, was kind of had a front row seat during kind of the heady days of Hadoop and big data. And certainly at that time, Presto, uh, you know, was, was a very, very interesting technology. You know, one of the things I'm curious about is, is I think, in a large part, Hadoop kind of, you know, peaked a little bit in terms of its, its I don't know, mass appeal. I don't know how you might might characterize it. But I, I think Starburst has done a, a wonderful job of, of continuing to be, you know, a very, very attractive technology for those kind of those big data problems. I mean, I, I you know, I know you've only been there a couple of years, but, you know, I just wonder, like, what your perspective is on that kind of journey from, you know, the, the heady days of Hadoop when everybody had to have a Hadoop solution and a big data to something, you know, that's very different now with the emergence of cloud. I, I don't know if that's something you've thought much about, but I, I'm always curious about companies that, that kind of started in those early days and have managed to transition kind of in this journey that's that's in, in some ways kind of a post-Hadoop era. Yeah. And I, well, in a lot of ways, the Hadoop era really set the stage for for where we are today in terms of uh, like like data technology and data analysis, right? Like I'd say that like some of the inspiration of Presto in the first place was derived uh, from, from, from Hadoop, right? So where I think Starburst and the Trino project excel, right, is, is what we're really trying to do is actually push for uh, the separation of storage and compute, right? And that's the like if you if, if you work with us, if you buy the product, I think you lean into that axiom of like you can separate compute and storage, right? Which is a stark differentiation from the like coupled uh, data warehouse or cloud data warehouse, like Snowflake model of like coupling both things together. So I think that's where, and I, but I think that that's a, 
that purity of concept of like separation of storage and compute tier is what's carrying uh, carrying the vision forward, right? And and then I think that uh, being able to provide oper- uh, like optionality of where customers can choose to store store the data and and the federation capacities of Trino to do query federation across Mongo or 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 like S three object storage or you know or or traditional databases or or Snowflake, right? Like to be able to do that. Uh, gives customers the ultimate freedom and flexibility to store their data where they want and leverage it how they how they see fit and not be tied into like like okay well you know I mean like a, a, a huge part of Starburst early years was was like I have Snowflake but I also have Cloudera right like and how do I how do I marry these two things right like like because I don't want to move everything in Cloudera to Snowflake right and so but 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 Starburst can come in and solve that problem. And so you can you can do data migration, but it gives you that kind of single source of truth or that kind of fabric layer on top of everything to to drive business results. Because at the end of the day, that's what most customers are most concerned with is how do my how are my analysts making insights, right? Like I, I'm on this cloud transformation journey, sure, but like it's going to take a while. And and how do how do we as a company actually continue operating our business while underneath, like maybe we're doing other things or incorporating new technologies into the mix? And but then saying like, oh, but now how do I how do I how do I transform this data and get it into the cloud data warehouse, right? Like someone someone brought in Mongo and now we don't know what to do with all the data in Mongo, right? And so so solving those problems is is sort of um I think that 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 that's the thing that the technology does like super well, right? That's what that's that that's definitely the sweet spot of the technology. Yeah, I'd I'd love to understand a little bit more or, or hear you talk a little bit more about this kind of this separation of compute and storage, because again, that's something that that we find at Cockroach to be I think a place directionally we want to head, you know, more and more because there are there are fundamental limitations when those things I think are bound together, um, you know. But from from an application architecture and and and, and ultimately performance, which leads uh, again to something I think you called out, which is important to understand is business value. I mean, what 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 are you seeing or not seeing that that, that working to effectively separate those things is is done for the for the business over the technology itself. I mean, I think that's a, it's a, in other words, it's a really key architectural concept I'd like to explore. So what, what it lends, what it lends really well is it, I think it makes data, the concept of a data lake much more functional, uh, but it doesn't specifically require everything be in a data lake. And that like, I think a lot of companies are going into the data lake plus, uh, which is what we call it internally is like data lake and a couple other things type strategy of like, you're landing everything in a lake, but also you have data other places and that's kind of okay. And we'll figure out how to get it there eventually. Um, but, you know, I'd say it's the combination of like, like exceptionally treat cheap object storage, right? Like exceptionally cheap uh, ways to, to, to store all of your data. And then, and then, but that, then how do you leverage it in a way that's performing on top of it? Right. And so I'd say, and then, and then, but like, but then you also have app databases and other things you want to include into the mix and, like where do those fit into the scenario? And ter- like uh, a good a good example is like um, in the consumer space, like new feature development, right? Like where you're maybe your object model isn't 100 percent solidified, or you're, or you're not 100 percent focused on what metrics you're tracking. But how do you actually join that with other large data sets, right? And how do you actually you know link that to like marketing inbound data or something like that? Is 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 a good use case for the technology because like in a lot of places, especially more mature. Um, like digital native companies, they're already landing a ton of data in Lake, but it's not also the source of truth. And so like, there are definitely two ways to solve that problem. The first is sort of like, okay, well, we we link everything and, and everything goes to Snowflake and we feed Snowflake. Uh, we just, you know, don't see the need for that, right? And we think that 
you know, if if you can aid in things like schema discovery, uh, Starburst has leaned heavily into like the concept of uh, data products or like the concept of like data APIs. Like how do you actually define and scope data uh, in a way that, that makes it easier to consume, you know, and then and, and thinking about like lineage and other things, like how do you actually like take something as unstructured as a data lake and produce like useful, viable outcomes has been a, a big area of research for us. You know, one thing I'm always curious about, um, you know, and in, in we see this as it cockroach where, you know, when we look out at the market, there are just so many databases and, and, and so many data, you said data products, but I, I guess I'm using yeah. the term a little differently here. I mean, there's just so many places to put things, right? And, and, and ultimately, you know, the companies that we work with, you know, want to get them out of a transactional system or get it into or out of a transactional system. But, you know, as, as I think, I think you guys see day in and day out, you know, data can kind of get and, and be everywhere. It, uh, for us, the you know the the amount of different places people are are looking to put things or have put things or you know applications that are you know over here using Postgres over here using MySQL over here using Mongo and there's just I, I guess where I'm going is there's just so many products out there has that been a challenge for Starburst to you know to 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 walk into a company and say oh geez you know we have to we have to build yet some other integration that we didn't have before in order to to kind of fully realize the potential of, of pulling all this data together? Or is that a problem you guys have, have effectively kind of solved, you know, over the, over the years? Or are you still finding that, hey, you know, every day there's some new thing we're, we're being asked to integrate with? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, so we do run into that problem. But I think, like, one of the benefits of the technology is the, uh, like, the pluggable agent architecture, right? Like, in that, like, we... Um, we design like Trino and Presto were designed out of the get go to, to have a pluggable architecture to incorporate new connectors, right? And so, um, because of that, I think it's easier for us to adopt new connector patterns uh, and just and, and keep keep abreast. The other part's the community aspect of it too. Like a lot of our connectors actually come in from the community, and so someone wants to write a connector for X because they use it at their company, and you know uh, they write it right. And Starburst directly benefits from. Uh, that contribution, you know, occasion, you know, the, the, uh, for, for, I would say that we definitely focus on like ruggedizing and, and testing connectors we bring in from the community in, in that regard. But like, at the end of the day, like uh, the ecosystem itself kind of feeds it. Um, so there's, there's occasionally things we run into in terms of like some of the bigger companies with their own uh, like homebrew open source projects where they extended uh, a specific open source no, technology, which you, I was like, no, people aren't really like, doing that, yeah. are they? Uh, oh, no, no, yeah, they do that. Uh, but like, but and that, that's like a case by case decision, right? It's like, do we, do we integrate with this or not? But, um, but yeah, no, I, I'd say like the, the good thing about the tech is that it was designed to be this adaptable. And so we're not fighting against every single connector we run into. Yeah, it, it just, you know, from our perspective, it's just amazing to me. It seems like every day there's a, you know, a, a new database or, a, you know, a new, a new something or other that people are asking about. And I think if, you know, if our job was to figure out how to connect to all those things, which it doesn't necessarily, um, it would be, it'd be daunting. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, the, definitely, I was going to say, definitely having to, to Google a new technology is kind of embarrassing sometimes. Like, you're like, oh, I, I haven't heard about it. Like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, as an SVP, you're supposed to have all the answers. You I know, should, SVP I of engineering, have all the answers to every question that's asked. I know that's how I feel sometimes, I, but you're right. I mean, the, the amount of time I have to look up things is is amazing. You, you mentioned something. I kind of wanted to, to shift a little bit to maybe to kind of the, the people aspect. So, so you mentioned community. You know, it, the, as as the SVP of engineering and somebody who is responsible for 
you know, kind of wrangling, I, I think, not only employees of Starburst, but ultimately, you know, contributors who may or may not be employed. You know, I mean, talk to me a little bit about kind of how you how you guys organize your work. Um, I know there's, you know, there are many different philosophies about how to organize engineering teams. I'm just I've always been fascinated and have worked with with open source projects in the past. I'm just kind of curious how you not only, you know, philosophically kind of organizing your team, but how are you incorporating, you know, kind of that broader ecosystem of, of community contributors in order to kind of to build the ultimate vision for Starburst? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those like case by case things where in some cases, especially like connectors is a great example, right? Like, cause that is an atomic unit of work. And, you know, in a lot of ways, like it's, it's easy for people, easier for people to contribute those than like core engine enhancements. And I'd say it's, it's much more of a partnership model, right? Like, like we, we believe that like, if we help invest in the community that like, that we can, can, can reap rewards from that. And so like, uh, having Starburst, because I, I'd say we employ probably the most like Presto Trino experts in the world at this point, right? And so like it is assisting to help lift, right? And so like that could be community management, that's assistance in PRs, that's making sure that we're providing timely feedback. You know, it's we have people manning the Slack, the open source Slack to answer questions and help people get get unblocked. And so I'd say it's really just like having a practical level of investment in the community uh, and and help and helping to lift it. You know, like making sure that if someone comes in, like they have a positive experience with the Trino community, right? Like, and, and that we're clear and concise on either why or why not, like, like an initiative should be taken on and accepted because, you know, I mean, just, we get just as many things that are probably not as appropriate for the project as <laughs> right. are appropriate for the project. Right. But, um, but, you know, I'd say like, uh, when, when Dane, David and Martine founded, uh, the Trino Software Foundation, like the grow, growth of the community was was really top of mind for them, and and so, you know, we we are a, a majority of the maintainers and a majority of the contribution to it. But you know, I'd say making sure that we at Starburst are continually like keeping an eye on how we make it make it better is a huge part of it. How big is the team? Out of curiosity, the engineering team. Engineering is about 150 today. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a big team. And and there, are they everywhere? I mean, kind of in all corners of the world at this point. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, we, we employ, you know, we operate really globally. Uh, so, you know, we have offices in, in Palo Alto, Austin, Boston, London, Paris, Warsaw, and Tel Aviv. Uh, but we have employees in India and Japan and South America and, and all over Europe and all over the U.S. and Canada. So, uh, yeah, we are a global remote first company. Now, is, is part of your role and responsibility to get to travel to all those destinations regularly? Or is, is that something that... Uh... It's not necessarily required. No, it, it is. I actually, I go to Poland uh, and Tel Aviv a moderate amount of times, Palo Alto once a quarter. Uh, and and I'll say like, it, it is great. Like, I mean, Bay Area is awesome and seeing friends out there is great. And, and then seeing like going to Warsaw, uh, Poland's grown on me. Uh, it, a, lot, a huge chunk of our engineering organization is in the greater Warsaw area. So that's been a lot of fun. And, and Tel Aviv is gorgeous. Uh, you know, the beach there is amazing and it's just a beautiful city. So yeah, two places I've never been and would like to go. Well, one thing I, I'm curious about, I, I, everybody, I think, you know, certainly in technology, and, and if you read the news at all lately, you, you know, you've heard, I think, about various layoffs in, in different places. You know, who knows why, you know, these things are, are necessarily happening each individual company. But I think we can all agree the last couple of years have been certainly a challenging place to, to do business um, and to be in tech, you know, whether it's, it's COVID or, or other kind of macroeconomic things. Um, you know, just curious, 
you, you've got a big team, right? And, and here we are, um, you know, trying to, to build fascinating and interesting products that people care about and use. You know, how, how has, you know, whether it's, whether it's the pandemic or who knows what else, I mean, how has that impacted kind of your engineering teams, your engineering effort, and I guess more broadly, just kind of the development of, of, you, of your products over the last couple of years? So Starburst was really tiny uh, going into COVID. Um, it wasn't under 100 people. Um, I mean, I, I joined uh, in August of 2020. Uh, so I joined sort of mid-pandemic. And I think we, you know, and I, I think, you know, at that point we were physically located mostly in Boston and uh, and uh, Warsaw with a, with a smattering of people in Palo Alto. And I think, you know, as we progress, we, we just sort of decided that the future of us, we, we still wanted offices and we still wanted to meet in person and those sorts of things eventually someday. But the concept of like people going into a building to work every day just sort of seemed outdated and, and, and that we thought that we could continue to hire better and better people by being flexible. I actually really like the remote first, uh, like sort of paradigm in that, like, we can hire remote people, but we can also hire people that want to go to an office. I have engineers that go into an office every day because that's they want to go and they want to socialize and they want to be in an office. And so I think I think we're able to get like the best of both worlds from that. And, and it, it was a very realistic, uh, evolving thing that just sort of happened. But I'm really happy with the outcome of it in that like I feel like we can hire in in the geolocales that we're present in, but also like people that just want to stay home. You know, I'm I'm, I'm contacting you live from my home office right now. It's, you know, I think, you know, I, I go into our Boston office on occasion, but like at the end of the day, it's, it's wherever people feel most efficient. And I think that that's a, especially for engineers, that's a very like practical framing is like, well, like if you feel like it's more productive to fly somewhere, fly somewhere. If you feel like it's productive to be in an office, be in an office. If you need to work from home, work from home. Uh, and we're really focused more on the outcome of our business than like physical, policies on you got to be in the office two days you know i mean it's just it's so i, I but I, I don't know if we would have made that decision uh without covid right i think it was a very practical decision we made as as we grew up uh in the pandemic but um but I'm, i just don't think it would i don't know if that would have been a natural decision we made otherwise you know one of the things you said to me earlier was that that you thought it was kind of hard to to build a product without a whiteboard and I thought that was super interesting because I know in our in our experience, in my experience with our teams, you know, you do miss sometimes, um, you know, the, the ability to just kind of grab a, a bunch of folks, pull them into a room, and and draw something out and move on. And and I think it's it's made the times that we are together so much more valuable. I mean, is that have you found that that not being together has has had any impact on velocity because I can see it both ways, you know, as you just kind of described, like sometimes, you know, you can get, you can get, find wonderful people in kind of far flung, pl flung places of the world, you know, but at the same time you miss that kind of communal engagement. I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, has it been hard to, to build a product without a whiteboard or, I mean, I, I would imagine at this point you've managed through that, but I'm just curious. I thought it was such an interesting kind of statement to make about the challenges of the last couple of years. No, and I uh no, it, it is hard, right? I'd say the thing I've the, the thing I've discovered is like uh tactics are easy, strategies hard, right? Like like if you're just heads down working on something, working from home is great, right? No distractions, throw the headphones on, there's nobody moving behind you, right? I'm like a person who's easily distracted by offices, right? So like for me it was 100%, but like 
working through something when everybody's on Zoom and the social norms are weird and you can't just like walk up to something, you know, it it for me is like it 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 felt it felt like 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 losing a sense or or, or something like I, it was like something was missing in the conversation that I I had to devote hours to something because I just couldn't like articulate it well enough via Zoom. I, um, so you know I I think one of the things that that our executive team has done even through pandemic we meet, we meet outside but we met in person to discuss issues that mattered. And so from an engineering perspective, we started doing that. And that like, that's why we established our office in Palo Alto. It was like, we needed more high bandwidth conversations to work through this stuff. And it's like, either I fly out to California for two days, or I spend the next 60 days in a variety of Zoom meetings trying to articulate the same thing. And so I really do think that especially high bandwidth, like really organic design and and, and strategy discussions were super challenging to do. And uh, for those of and, and for people watching, it's so strong. I, like I can't, I can't overemphasize the the, the benefits of co-location uh, to doing those things, because like five minutes on a whiteboard saves me thirty five minutes on a Zoom call. So, um, oh, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, like as I said, I think the times that we've been able to get together, and we're starting to do that more frequently. I don't know how y'all have kind of adjusted, but I think what's happening for us, at least, is you know the kind of offices are definitely opening back up and there's a lot more encouragement to be back together. But yeah, it's just that, that time that you spend together to be able to, you know, to really discuss, like you mentioned, those high bandwidth issues is so important. So I know we're running up on about 30 minutes, but you know, no, no meeting of two technologists would be complete without talking about the cloud. I don't know. Somehow we got 25 minutes into this without actually saying the word cloud which you know, I, I don't think is legal in some states. Uh, you have let's, to mention it. Let's talk about the cloud, yeah. Let, yeah, so let's, let's talk about the cloud. I, I know y'all are building a product uh, to, to kind of, uh, you know, to simplify deployment management, uh, as are we. You know, just curious about maybe your perspective on that, you know, not only, you know, the journey, but, you know, how has, how has that product been received? I mean, tell us a little bit about it, but you know, how has that product been received in the market and and what's been that journey of of building it, if you will? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, Citrino is many things, uh, but in a lot of cases it's, it's not super easy to configure and tune and optimize and deploy and operate. Right. And so that was really the original inception of the cloud product was like, you know, even our enterprise product, like engineers are operating it, right? It's a, it's a self-hosted product that, you know, is driving mission critical stuff in a business, but like they're, they're doing the upgrades and everything else. Right. And so when we just, de- when we designed Trino, I mean, we designed a galaxy out of the get-go, right? Like it was really like, we were looking for the ease of use axiom. So we're like, all right, like people want to, people want to spin up the people just like, let's, let's not even talk clusters. People want an answer to a question, right? Like they want to submit a, a SQL query and get an answer. So like when we looked at that, we're like, all right, like start with small, medium, large clusters that auto shut down and auto, auto start, right? Like, because we don't want people to have to worry about cluster management. And then, you know, we throw in auto scaling and we throw in other technologies that make it easier. Like we're launching, um, like our, 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 our batch processing service, which is like making customers high, high availability. Right. So like there's, there's a ton of things we're introducing, but it's really centered around the experience of like, 
people just want answers to data-derived questions, right? So it should be easy to connect sources, easy to manage clusters. It, the system is versionless, so people don't know what version of Trino they're running, right? But we want, that's the kind of level of, of thing we wanted was, you know, making it easy and transparent to operate the product. And so, you know, and then, you know, because of the sort of decentralized nature uh, of Trino in the first place, as I sort of talked about earlier, the separation of storage and compute, like we didn't even want to be tied to a cloud, right? So, you know, we launched our product initially in all three public clouds, right? And I think our, our eventual goal is solving multi-cloud or hybrid cloud analytics, right? Which is a, is a problem because the monetization policies of the CSPs make that kind of a problem, right? But like our goal really is to make Starburst the product that people can use use anywhere, right? You like use anywhere to get answers to their questions and we optimize for their situations, right? And so that's I think I think approaching the problem with a bold, kind of ambitious amb ambitious statement of like, yes, we want to be the solution for for wherever, um, really kind of lended itself to to really driving simplicity and multi-platform support. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's funny listening to to your description. It's, it's precisely, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, what drives cockroach. You know, the the ability to to run these complicated systems without having to be burdened by that complexity. Um, and, and you touched on something that we're spending a lot of time thinking about, which is, I think, one of the reasons why our companies uh, work so nicely together. And that is that, um, you know, the cloud is this is this big thing, right? But it's obviously um, you know, when you get right down to it, it's, it's a handful of key vendors that are in the space. Being able to run a product across multiple clouds is becoming important, you know, to our, certainly to our customers. It sounds like it's becoming, uh, you know, important to your customers. Do you see that that trend continuing? It's it's one of those things, just quickly from my perspective, that, that you know, sometimes you feel like, oh, is this a marketing thing? Or are people really asking for this? I am surprised how many times we walk in, into customers and they are demanding that we have a multi-cloud story. Is that something you're finding as well? I mean, what's, what's be, how has that multi-cloud journey evolved for you? Because I know for us, it hasn't necessarily been easy, but it's, it's definitely important. You know, I, I, it, it, we have seen it, right? That's why we're working on it, right? At the end of the day, whether it's it, people are running in, in, in multiple clouds for things like resiliency and failover or playing the vendors off of each other for cost perspective or... Uh, acquisition is a huge use case, right? Like you're an Amazon shop, but you buy a big company that's in that's in, in GCP or Azure, right? And then all of a sudden you're you're, you're multi-cloud, right? And so I don't think it's for a variety of reasons. I think it's a common scenario for for all the reasons I just sort of mentioned, and and I think it's a, a reality, right? And I think that uh, you know I don't think you have to build a cloud agnostic product, but I think if you want to solve some of the things at the scale we're trying to solve them, you sort of have to be cloud agnostic, right? You sort of have to just embrace that reality. And, you know, and, and I would say that it's an uncomfortable reality for an emerging company because like, because the economics of it don't 100% work right now. And, and, and because like, even companies that are like, oh, well, we run in, in all three clouds, it's a siloed product in all three clouds, right? And we're kind of trying to forego that aspect of it and try to think beyond that aspect of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of daunting, uh, to, to, to proceed down that Avenue, but I also, I think 10 years from now, you know, if you're thinking like long, long term, like uh, the people are going to want to treat CSPs like a commodity because no companies like being locked in, like no company likes being hundred percent dependent on another business, 
uh, to the extent of it's like like a utility, right? And, and I think that that's a, I just think you know I think it's I think it's a comp, I think it's a, a for economic reasons, it's something that most major companies have to seriously consider. I couldn't agree more. You know, we're in the OLTP space. And so we, we get a lot of folks who have had bad experiences with vendors kind of locking them into their product for, you know, for, for a long time and, and, you know, making that experience rather painful. And so I think when it comes to these big cloud vendors, that's, that's precisely what we're seeing, or at least, you know, as you described, we see, we see it for a lot of reasons, but one of the most important reasons is this idea that, and I just came out of this bad experience being locked into something. I don't want to jump all into a cloud provider as, as uh, benevolent as that cloud provider may be at the moment. You know, I don't want to be locked into them forever in the future. And so having kind of this optionality to run solutions in different places has become a big and important driver for us. Absolutely. I, I, I think that the... I mean, the vendor lock-in topic is huge, right? And I think that there's an argument for why open source or why multi-cloud or, or why a lot of things. I, I think at Starburst, uh, we focus on making a great product so that we don't have to rely on lock-in, right? Like, because I, I think that that I think the purity of the purity of purpose there forces you to make a great product, right? So, so yeah, yeah, make it make it the thing that people want, regardless, right? Exactly, it's just the best. Yeah. Yep. So one thing I, I'm always curious about is kind of we wrap up is, you know, and especially, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, you've had such an interesting career, lots of lots of different experiences, been at the front row uh, of building lots of interesting things. Um, now, I personally have never made a mistake, but I assume others have. Perhaps you have. Uh, that's a joke, of course, for people listening and make mistakes all the time. Um, but. You know, as you think kind of back uh, on your your journey as an engineer, architect, SVP, I mean, are, are there some things, a thing that that you kind of reflect back on and say, geez, I shouldn't have done that, uh, you know, technically, you know, or, or boy, that was a mistake we made or, you know, just anything that, you know, I, I think someone in your position with your experience, anything you can offer to people who may be listening to this to say, you know, here was an important lesson I learned in my my journey getting to this point? I mean, I think so. I, I would say, especially at growth phase companies, if you're not actively making architectural mistakes almost every other day, like I don't, I don't know what, what you're doing, right? Because in all honesty, like you're proceeding in an unclear space and you're not a hundred percent sure where your business is going to go. And so you, you make decisions. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of the ways that we make decisions technically is like, we try to make sure we're going through like, like two way doors instead of one way doors so we can revisit decisions later. But like, I'd say, you know, um, I mean, I've run into to, to technology selection choices or vendor selection choices. A lot of it, a lot of probably revolves around like picking the wrong tech for the wrong, uh, for the, for, for the wrong reasons or, or, or not being the scale beyond a certain point. Right. Like, and I think, you know, um, but, but I think that those, I think those are great problems to have because like you made a choice and you hit a level of scale where you're running into cascading failure issues because of that selection, because your product or company is successful. Right. And so I think, I mean, uh, like, you know, I, uh, at Hopper, like we were like super reliant on Kafka, which over time really like was got progressively, progressively more complicated. And then you don't forward, say we forked the open source and we wrote our own client. I mean, like, we, you know, we did a lot of stuff to make it keep working. And then like, on why that decision at some point, like talking to Confluent and being like, hey, Confluent, like we'd like to host our, you know, 
or Kafka infrastructure for us. And then being like, wait, you wrote your own client? No, get out, right? Like it's, 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 um, so it's like things like that, right? Where at the time it was absolutely the right decision, right? But at the end of the day, like eventually you're like, okay, we are way, way beyond where we intended to be here and we've made it work, but like what's the go forward strategy, right? And I think, um, there's a lot of stuff like that, I'd say, in my background in terms of like, okay, like we operate under the best possible information at the time, but, um, but you know, I, uh, Rule Law was a great example of that too, in terms of like, you know, it's a flash sale company. So, uh, like high, high, high throughput during like holiday season would always shed a floodlight on your bad technical decisions <laughs> because you're, you know, getting on the one day you have to be up, you're getting flooded with requests and you're like, oh, well, all right, that's what it was this year. You know, it reminds me. So, um, we did a did a webinar with uh, Sean from DoorDash. Um, this this is a while back, and he said something so interesting. I thought during that, which is, you know, you often hear the term, you know, things go bump in the night, right? You know, you know, you don't want to build systems where if something goes bump in the night, you know, all hell breaks loose. And his retort to that, I thought, was super insightful. Which is, he wasn't worried about things going bump in the night. He was worried about things going bump in the day. You know, which is is like. It, it, failures happen, of course, all the time. And, and the worst kind of failure are those that are happening kind of right when everybody needs your service. So I, I just thought I thought that was kind of a fascinating way that things things will break, things will fail, but um, and you, you can't necessarily predict it, but you have to be ready for it. And and the other thing, I, I'm curious if your thought on this, I, I feel like at times we struggle with this. I've seen my teams and, and other teams and other companies struggle with this, so we, where you know, the, the phrase kind of don't let the don't let perfect be the enemy of good, I think, where, you know, we almost spend too much time trying to find the, the ultimate and perfect solution. When I think what oftentimes works better is just being able to quickly iterate um, over over maybe, you know, a, a reasonable first solution and and, you know, just kind of let that evolve over time. I mean, obviously, it takes a care and time and feeding, but you know, sometimes you just have to jump right in with both feet, build something kind of as you described, based on the conditions that uh, that exist in the moment, and then and be prepared to to improve them as as new facts present themselves. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think you know uh, a lot of what I coach like my teams to do is is like let's prove the concept first, right? Like let's let's prove an idea. Let's let's prove this business idea is worth investment, right? Like don't lose sight of the eventual goal, and let's not make actions that are like counter to where we want to be but like you don't have to design a bulletproof system if we don't even know it's going to work you know like it's it's because like otherwise yeah it's like you know uh get something out in, in in a month right like let's set a threshold like what's the best thing we can do in a month and we'll vet it we'll put a private preview we'll see if customers like it you know we can keep it in preview for a while right when we actually flesh out the real technical solution for it but like yeah no i, I um nobody gets bonus points for overbuilding you know at the end of the day like you, you like it, we're a business and, and nobody like if we spend six months on something we could have spent two months on it like no one's going to thank us as on how pure how pure how, how pure our system is right so it's so good though it's, it is really it's good. the best uh it's the best there's nobody else in the world that's built a system this great so um but no like yeah 100 percent agree and i think that that's but that's where skilled architects come in right like you don't just employ them for perfect technical solutions, you employ them because it's like, they know when to take out the duct tape, you know, they know when to just, all right, we'll just, all right, we'll make it work. Right. Um, but, but, but you don't fall into a trap with that. Right. And I think that's really where the best technologists can apply themselves. Well, speaking of perfect systems, um, maybe as, as we wrap up, 
Can you talk a little bit about how uh, Starburst is leveraging Cockroach DB today? I know, I know, we are part of, I believe, the Galaxy solution, but I, I'd love to hear really just a little bit about about your perspective on on the journey to uh, finding it and maybe ultimately implementing, you know, a, a Cockroach DB in your solution. Yeah, I mean. You know, uh, so for, for, for the same reasons I spoke about before, in that we wanted to be multi-cloud and and resilient uh, to, to to being multiple cloud, like we didn't want to pick a specific uh, CSP solution. For I mean, it started with our, our our secret our secret storage. Like, how do we get uh, like encrypted secrets deployed globally in a in a minimum amount of time? And that that's sort of how. And then it became like, well, what other information do we need? Like globally, uh, globally sort of replicated. Uh, because we are a global system, right? Like we're selling to larger companies and there are people accessing in Europe and Asia and the US. And so like the technology was selected really for that reason, which is how do we get a solution in that matches our SLAs on what we want our technology to be? And we didn't feel right uh, going with a specific CSP like solution for it uh, or one of the ancillary like related cockroach techs. So we, so we, we, we specifically narrowed down to cockroach because of those reasons right it, it matched our high availability and performance heuristics for what we were looking for with galaxy because as you can imagine right like if we have to rely on an external system for fetching data during operation of a query like it has to be lightning fast like it has to be like there has to be a certain response time on that because otherwise our system looks slow right like so we can't critically depend on other systems that are not sort of matching the the tight like global reliable SLAs that we have for ourselves. Yeah, it's awesome to hear. I mean, it, it, yeah, a lot of what you just called out are the reasons why others have been, have been drawn to the technology. And and I know we've been you know very excited and and happy with the partnership and and glad to to count you among our customers. Y'all have been fantastic to work with. Um, just maybe as a, a last question, just as kind of we look toward the future. And again, I I, I so deeply appreciate the the time uh, you've spent in the conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, what are you looking forward to? You know, maybe you're a football fan and you're looking to next season of UVA. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, you know, maybe it's a, it's a product thing. I mean, what what kind of gets you motivated in the morning to kind of face what uh, I guess we're here at the end of January is going to be it's undoubtedly another interesting year? So uh, I am a diehard New England Patriots fan. I'll just get it out of the way. This was not <laughs> this was not our year. Uh, not our year. Not, not we've had great years in New England. This was not one of those great years. Uh, I'm always looking forward to next next season. Now uh, as a Patriots fan, uh, I, and I'm a general New New, uh, New England sports fan. So I'm Bruins and Celtics too. Uh, you know, I would say for me, like I, I mean, work is obviously a huge chunk of my life, and and, and I I love the phase that Starburst is in right now. Like I think it's being part of a growing business and the inertia and excitement of being part of a growing business, even with the economy the way it is, is really exciting. It's energizing. It's, you know, everyone wants to build a great company. And so that gets me out of bed every day. I have a great team. I work with a great executive team. Like it's, it's, uh, everyone is on mission, which I love, right? Everyone is, there's no politics. Everybody's on mission and we're all rowing in the same direction. And that, 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 that definitely is energizing. Uh, you know, and, and I got two kids, uh, February vacations coming up. We're going down to Florida, uh, visit my mom. You know, that's always like spend some time in the pool, warm up a little bit. It's, there's definitely a bunch of snow outside my window right now. So that that's on the, that's on the docket too. 
Well, Ken, again, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. I think it's a fascinating conversation. It, you know, it, as clearly anybody listening will see, you've got uh, had a wonderful, uh, wonderful background um, and work for I think just a fascinating and 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 exciting company. Uh, so thank you again for for spending the time with us. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure talking. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Big Ideas in App Architecture. If you could, please rate the podcast five stars on Apple and Spotify, and we'll talk to you next time.